0: Alright.
1: Welcome to Four Thoughts of our Founders, the podcast for the Higher Education Leadership Foundation. We are practitioners, scholars, administrators, and researchers seeking to find like-minded individuals committed to creating a rich cultural capital for the sole benefit of this space. Most importantly, we at Health describe ourselves as zealots of this sacred space. That sacred space being none other than the historically black college and university vineyard. Back again with the etiquette doctor, Dr. Toya Corbett. This is part two of a very important conversation and we're extremely excited to continue the conversation. So I'm not gonna belabor the point. Wanna introduce again, dr Cor- toya corbett welcome dr corbett how are you today i'm
2: fantastic dr felton let's let's get
1: started again let's get started again i think we we uh part one we ended on um really di- diving deep into the introduction or rather the initial conversation we we recapped by talking i'll, I'll recap by talking about Both of our beliefs, but you being the professional in this space um, of how important it is for people to be on the minute they wake up that morning for the interview. Uh, And we narrowed it down to what happens when you get in the door and who, uh, you know, to really pay attention to. And we talked about how extremely important it was uh, to make sure that you recognize all humans. Um, in the space and treat them uh, appropriately. Um, but we started delving into the actual interview and we finished off on, you know, your, your take on how uh, we can determine whether or not folks are polished um, by appearance, how they look. I don't, I don't think I said anything about one of my pet peeves, um, Dr. Corbett, but one of them for me is scuffed shoes.
0: <laughs> I have a problem <laughs>
1: with scuffed shoes and and heels. Um, mm-hmm, you
0: mm-hmm. know, n- not
1: appropriately attended to. I, it 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 is petty. Some would say, but I think it really illuminates attention to detail.
0: <laughs>
1: and uh, being granular is important. I think. Mm
0: hmm.
2: I I agree with you. You you have to be polished from head to toe. Uh, yours is scuffed shoes. Uh, I can tell you that <clears throat> I I didn't hire someone for a role uh, a few years ago because the young man came in uh, wearing a French cuff shirt with no cuff links. and his shoes were untied. And so the entire time that We were, you know, talking during the interview. I just focused on his cuffs, and I'm like, he didn't even take the time to finish getting dressed. Therefore, he is not prepared for this role, and so that's how you know you can interpret being polished. If you don't care how you present, because again, you know, my Toya Corbett is a presentation is everything. Then how are you going to show up on the job every day? Because in my opinion, you should be wearing your best to the interview. You should be bringing your best, and if your best is fifty percent of a hundred, then that's what you're going to give if I give the job.
1: But so but
2: polish is so important.
1: Yeah, but but go to the cleaners, right? And it's not about fancy um, designer clothes or anything like that. I think, in fact, the more flashier, the worse for you. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just about being neat. And really showing that there was some thought about what you mm-hmm. were doing uh, that day. You know, grooming is extremely important. Let, let me ask you a question: how How do people respond outside of the room when uh, the ethnic appearance comes into play, be it the naturals with the sisters or brothers with locks and the Rick Ross uh, beards? how does that play out uh, in spaces that that you're you you have knowledge of or what you know industry experts uh, say but don't tell
2: you know natural hair has been a, a very hot topic in the job market over the last couple of years uh, I think it has relaxed some um, I think Probably the main issue is that people have, you know, this unconscious bias when it comes to natural hair. So they think about it not being neat or uncleaned or this person is going to be, you know, super black, pro-black about everything. And that's, that's not what it is. And You know, even in the HBCU space, you heard the uh, policy that the School of Business at Hampton University had in terms of natural hair a lot. Um, And then other places, but then over the last few months, uh, some cities or some states have passed the the Crown Act that uh, prohibits discrimination against individuals who have natural hair. So we are moving in a progressive um, uh, era right now. But I always say, if you do have natural, and I have natural hair, Mm -hmm. make sure that it's tame, make sure that it's neat. And do make sure that it's clean. You know, get your locks done. Uh, get your braids tightened up. You know, get, get get an edge up if you have natural hair. It, it really is about being presentable. Mm-hmm. You can still be yourself. Uh, the main thing that I like to share is do what you need to do to get the job. And once you're there, see what the culture is inside. But also do your research beforehand. If you're that type of person and you're just like, I'm going to be unapologetically me. And no one else can tell me otherwise. Well, then there are some spaces that you probably don't need to work in because they're not going to flex for you. You have to flex for them if you want the job.
1: I think it's really important that we don't get lost on that. First, I want to underscore what you said about appearance. Appearance isn't necessarily, um, I, I wouldn't discriminate against a brother or a sister. Um, but people knowing where they're going and what Mm -hmm. uh, the culture is, is extremely important. Um, I'll take, for instance, my favorite baseball team since I was a little kid, the the New York Yankees. They don't allow their players to have long hair or facial hair, period. It's the standard. I don't care what you had before you came to the New York Yankees. Um, While you're in pinstripes, you will be trimmed uh, and you won't have facial hairs. That's just the standard. Is that discriminatory? Mm -hmm. Nope. That's the standard. And um, some places have them. Some places are clearly um, um, articulate about what it is that they want. And I don't think that, um, because an institution says, or a place says that you can't be this way for us. I don't believe that that is discriminatory on its face. Um, Mm -hmm. and I think it's more about the clients that they serve them knowing their clients. Uh, it's a litany of things, but, um, I think that's really important uh, for people to really understand. And I, I really like the advice of, you know, getting in the door um, and not that you have to go 180 uh, from where you were when you walked in the door. But, you know, our, our main goal is to get a job, um, support ourselves and leave some money for our, our, our kids and our children's mm-hmm. kids, children. Right. And the only way you can do that is to be employed. Um
0: yeah. Mm-hmm. You know,
1: whether that be self-employed or whatever, but um, I'm reminded of Jimmy Jenkins, uh, my boss, my, my one of my mentors, who would always say he he who has the gold rules. That's the golden rule. Um, mm. it, you know, he was a guy who was a stickler for details, and you knew what he wanted, and you did what he wanted you to do. And and so this this really goes back to knowing the atmosphere that you're you're going into, right?
2: It does. Uh in and in, in even besides hair, um, a lot of people now have nose rings or, you know, piercings by their mouth and you know, multiple piercings in their ears. And mm-hmm. I always say, you know, remove it for the interview. Just just for the interview. You know, if you get there, and get the job and you, you get to the office and you see other folks with piercings, hey, go put yours in and go back to work the next day with you. Mm-hmm. But you have to decide, is this the space for you? And unfortunately, there are places like, you know, the IT, uh, Facebook, Google, uh, Cisco, you know, they are very liberal in dress, attire, presentation. They don't care. They, you know, they're focused on can you do the job, you know, very relaxed spaces to work in. But then there are still um some areas, and particularly in corporate America, where you're going to have to wear the suit, the tie, shirt, heels, and sometimes even pantyhose for the ladies. Yeah. Uh, but you have to decide if that's a space that you can thrive in. Uh, and if not, then, you know, look elsewhere. Look for a better fit.
1: Yeah. I think it's really all about fit. That's, that's essentially, you know, the underlying message here is that you know, we just really have to know what it is that, that, um, what, what, what we're walking into. So Mm -hmm. you, you, you talked about the, the initial, um, the initial meeting in the interview, have you seen that go wrong uh, oftentimes? Mm -hmm. And what are some of the mistakes that folks make in their initial, um, introduction to, uh, potential employers?
2: Yeah, I, I've seen some blunders, particularly, you know, that first round, uh, whether it be over the phone, whether it be, you know, Skype or Zoom. And, you know, it, it really is hard when you're not in a space uh, with the, the person or a panel that's interviewing you because you can't really feel their vibe. Yeah. You know, Yeah. Um, you can't really gauge, but that's when you need to uh, work harder in selling yourself. Um, they, particularly if you're on the phone, they can't see your body language or your facial expression. So, you need to be very articulate in your answers. Uh, you need to be prepared. And since you're over the phone or you may be on Zoom or Skype, you know, have some notes <laughs> that you can refer to. I like to write things down because if I write it down, then I know it. Or, you know, have it, don't make it so obvious that you got to refer to your notes the entire time. But if it can help keep you on track, I recommend that you do that. But make sure that there, – there, to me, there are a few interview questions that are always going to be asked. Number one, tell us about yourself. You should have a, a two, <laughs> at least a two-minute pitch right now. Already, you know, you should already have that in your mind of what you're going to say when the interviewer says, tell us about yourself. You know, don't make it 15 seconds. Hi, my name is Toya. You know, I attended UNC Charlotte and I'm really hoping to work for this company. That's not going to get it. I'm like, okay, they didn't prepare. (laughs) Uh, There's more about you you need to say. Can they say a poem?
1: Can they say a poem, Toya? uh,
2: I wouldn't recommend that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm
1: I'm literally had that happen on probably four or five occasions, seriously. Like and wow. and I think to myself, these interviews about are, are about fluidity, I I believe. Mm-hmm. And um extemporaneous speaking isn't for everybody. I get it. Um but I don't want anyone telling me about um the night being black and conquering their souls mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't need somebody telling me about, you know, the tide rises and all boats rise the same. I, I don't need all of that because I don't know that it matters in this interview. Right. Unless mm-hmm. we're talking about literature.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Give, give me something then. but in your introduction, right. I've seen, and I'm only saying it because hopefully it'll help somebody, uh, who might be thinking about in their introduction when someone tells you to, um, you know, introduce yourself, be it, um, you know, for a cabinet level, a mid-level, whatever Mm -hmm. it is, I I don't know if a poem is a good place to lead with.
2: No, no, sir. You know, and and secondly, the committee, the search committee or panel, they want to know why you're interested in this role, you know, you know, for that organization or, or for that college or university. And, Again, you should have done your research and then be able to articulate what makes you the best candidate for the role. You should be able to explain and articulate, again, what you know about that company, that organization, or that college university. You know, speak to their mission and purpose. You know, talk about strategic plan and how your goals and your values align with that and what you bring to the table. Another thing people don't do is they don't ask questions when it's time to say, You have any questions for us? No. Listen. Well, you (laughs) should.
1: That's my favorite time, you know, because I want to put you on the spot just as you did for me for an hour and some change or two hours or whatever, Mm -hmm. or the full day. Yeah, those, I think those Mm -hmm. are really, I think they give a peek into, um, into the candidate, um, really. I, I think it says a lot about the person who's applying. Um, one, you can deduce that some research has been done, and folk are asking some some pretty decent questions. And two, um, it tells me that there is inquiry that I may be able to use down the line, or at least someone has the wherewithal to ask questions. And I don't I don't mm-hmm. think people do that enough at um, these, uh, places of employment. I don't, I don't know if inquiry is our strong suit. Um, let me ask you this. When, when, when you get past all of that and folks, well, let's put a bow on this. Is there anything else that we can talk about that happens during the interview? Because I want to go to um, the closed door when the candidate leaves. I want to get to that, because I, I have a, a, a burning question that I'd like to know. Um, but what are there, are, are there any other things that we should, we should know about uh, that interviewing process and coming off polished and, and, um, and doing our best uh, and leaving the best impression for uh, our potential employers?
2: absolutely be on time <laughs> <laughs> wait a minute be now don't, don't no, no, look look
1: now come on toria don't don't tell me that look. folk are uh, they're showing they're up late for no don't tell you know
2: me that you've had, you know you've had people come. <laughs> they got lost <laughs> trying to get to campus they couldn't find a parking space yes you all know, of that all those excuses mm. Uh, you got a plan for that. Anticlimactic, right? you know, I tell you, it, it really yes, is. Yes. It
1: really is. Be on time. Yeah.
2: Or, you know, you have a Skype schedule, and you call the candidate, you waiting.
1: Because they're downloading at going. the last minute. They're yes. down. <laughs> exactly.
2: Exactly. First impressions are a lasting impression.
1: Yeah, and that time is a is sneaky one because those mm-hmm. dates, you know about them for a minute. And you prepare mm-hmm. yourself for them. And the day of, I don't care what anybody says. There's a vacuum. It just it goes away quickly. That time gets there a lot quicker than you think. Um, mm-hmm. So I always tell people go the night before. Uh, you know, drive the route. When you get to the hotel, ask folks like, "Hey, what time? What time should I leave here to make sure that I'm 15 mm-hmm. minutes early to get to where I'm going?" And that's a really good question that can save you a lot of time and hassle. Um, exactly. Because the campus may be 1.2 miles away. But if your interview is at 830, um, then you're going to get caught up in a whole bunch of traffic. Uh, and mm-hmm. if, if you're in a place like Atlanta and D.C. where traffic is always on 10, um, it doesn't really matter. So I think it's great for people to really, really ask those questions and come really early uh, when it comes to. So I, I echo those sentiments. Um, any, anything else besides be on time? I, I know we we've covered a couple of different things, but in in closing with with respects to inside the interviewing room and how we prepare. Um, is there anything else that you'd like to add to that? Nope, just leave with, you know, first impressions or last impressions. Let me ask you a question. One, I kind of fell into something um, while I was interviewing for my first presidency. I was really nervous and I had a pen and pad um, and I also had my iPad. And um, as each person introduced themselves, I looked at them and then put my head down and wrote their name and said thank you Roger Smart and then looked at the other person and I kinda took control and it wasn't intentional but it slowed down everything but it allowed me to get their names and I put like red tie, or uh, mm-hmm,
2: mm-hmm. Fuzzy
1: Mustache or XYZ so that when I was able And once I got past uh, the rehearsed questions and the questions came rapid fire, I would be able to say their name. You know, Roger, that's a really good question. Mm -hmm. Um, What do you what do you are there any tactics that people can have uh, that you can share with people to own the room or to make it comfortable for them?
2: You mean you bring up a really good point And, and that again goes to doing your research Sometimes, and a lot of times, you will know who the search commi- members of the search committee are prior to going, right? And that gives you an opportunity to look at their names, their titles, um, learn a, a bit more information about them. Uh, but if not, and you're introduced to them, you know, at the table, then what you did was, you know, jotting some notes, you could be able to identify who was who. Or you can kind of write the names in order, you know, have some arrows pointing on your piece of paper uh, to to remember who, you know, who's in which um, order. And by calling people by their name, shows that you pay attention to detail and you grab their attention. That's one of the probably the most impressive things someone can do in an interview. And it does kind of change the flow and the vibe of the space. And then people, then they also relax. Now you're more relaxed because it has slowed it down and you're feeling more comfortable and confident about what you're saying. And therefore your interview is going to be so much better. Mm -hmm. And when you're nervous, you tend to kind of fumble over your words. You're not thinking because, you know, your mind is racing, uh, you know, 10 miles a minute. And and that just affords you to, to feel more comfortable about, you know, the space.
1: Yeah, I, I I tell you, I I bumped into that by happenstance and did it for my second interview, and it was it was just as powerful um, mm-hmm. that first one. It just gave me an opportunity to really collect myself, and by after about the fourth or fifth perth- person, my breathing was normal, <laughs> um, and I was good. But I still collected valuable data that I thought anyway that would help me personalize um, personalize the room. How important is it for people while they're in that room? And this is the last question about in that room. How important is it for folk to um, be a thermometer, uh, a thermometer and a thermostat? How important it is for you to understand the, the temperature uh, and to, to be able to change that temperature in the room?
2: Mm. Tell me more what you what you
1: talking about. Well, you know if if you're if a person is talking and folks have stopped nodding, the, mm. the temperature <laughs> in the room is is cold. Mm. Um,
0: yes.
1: How important is it for you to be able to recognize that, then be able to shift fairly quickly uh, to change the temperature in the room? <laughs>
2: I think, you know, because I've just said on so many search committees and panels that uh, when the person that I'm interviewing, you know, probably, you know, five to seven minutes in, you know, if they are a viable candidate. And, you know, if you're not giving a good interview, the panel is going to get bored and their attention span is going to go to something else. They're mm-hmm. going to start thinking. They're writing notes. This is how to get candidate and this is why. Um, And so, you know, calling their name as a candidate, we call the search channel's name, search news name is a good one. Um, You better probably change your posture and your body language. Um, I'm big on eye contact. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, that's when you really need to, you know, I think I said in our first part, how some people come to the first interview and they don't give it their all because they think they want to hold off to the second interview. But if you don't give it your all on the first interview, you're not going to make it to the second round.
1: There's no reason That's to be saving. Do. Don't, don't save right. nothing.
2: <laughs> it's time to shift the third gear and change the temperature of the room and say something that that person may now look up and you caught their attention. And then you better keep it.
1: You know what's so funny? The so th- does it happen? Do you see people just clueless in, at, at times when they're just rambling or not making uh, have lost focus of the room? Have, have you seen people who do not read the room well?
2: I do. And then they, they keep talking and you, you will know as a candidate when the person kind of leading uh, the interview kind of starts wrapping things up much more quickly than you expected. <laughs> to me, that's always a clue because mm-hmm. I, I would do that. I'm like, okay, we don't have any more questions here.
1: You know what's fast? Fashion- he- <laughs> go ahead. I'm sorry.
2: Mm-hmm. No, go ahead.
1: I was going to say that we, the foundation that I'm a part of, Health, um, did an interview we do mock interviews for our fellows. Anyone that, you know, wants, if they're going, you know, for a vice presidency or a presidency, we will assemble a cabin that looks like um, a search firm and we will, um, they will come prepared. They will come in that piece asking you questions, getting you where you need to be, right? And it was this one particular time we had three of our fellows in. The same, they were all finalists for the presidency at an institution. And George French, um, who's now president of Clark Atlanta University, I, he was serving as the chair of the board. And he said, he um, said something that was incorrect. And the guy who was being interviewed corrected him and George, and he did it in a very forceful way. And George tuned out, simply Mm -hmm. just tuned out. And when he did that, (laughs) the guy, his entire posture, he was obliterated. I mean, it just messed him up uh, from that point, because I know he knew I know that he knew at that moment, at that very moment when George's body language changed, that he had made an error. And it was something really minute. But uh, the, the point of, of this, this diatribe is that I think some people have to understand what to let go and what not to let go. If someone
0: mm-hmm.
1: butchers your name, that's not anything to really correct them on, I don't believe. Material issues, yeah inconsequential and some people would say their name uh, but some people are offended or are embarrassed right rather not not offended are embarrassed when you call them out. And I knowing that knowing how humans work, I think you don't want to put yourself in a position while you're in the search where I'm going with this is it, in being combative. I think that's that. That's where I'm going, and and wanted to know: Have you seen any instances where um, folk were combative, um, or, or even gave the appearance of being combative?
2: I I haven't personally witnessed it, uh, but I know that uh, could be a point of no return mm-hmm. if you come off as combative, because it, it shows your temperament. Uh, and and if you're doing that in the interview, it's probably going to translate into you doing it on the job if you were able to get the job. Uh, and that could show uh, your, your leadership skills. Uh, working with teams, you know, eventually that would come out. So that's not, that's not a good thing to do mm-hmm. on an interview. You know, my name is Toya. I have been called Latanya, Tanya, Toyota, (laughs) you name it. (laughs) I've been called that. Uh, And that's one of the things that, you know, that you do when you walk into that space. Again, it's people of color. We have colorful names. Mm -hmm. So seek your name very clearly and slowly. And hopefully they'll get it right the first time. But somebody may say, please pronounce your name. Yes. Yeah. And so it all goes together, but don't be combative. There's some things you don't, you don't need to tell them they made a mistake because they were wrong. Yeah. Yeah. You know, at that point,
1: you can't make this up. Like I, I've seen it a couple yeah. of times and it, it mm-hmm. just, yeah, I, I'm like, but there's really no probative value to argue about even a point that's, you know, people are contentious. What you have to recognize is that there are human beings on these searches or in the interviewing process. And they wake up and breathe and have idiosyncrasies. And I remember in our first session, you talked about cologne and perfume and being cognizant of how you do that. And I had this one particular person who was on a search, who said to me, I'm sure glad you don't have any cologne on your hand because I sneezed the entire time through the first interview. This was for the presidency. Mm. This was for the presidency and uh, someone had cologne on their hand. Um, And so I, my rule has always been no cologne for, for interviews. You just don't know Mm -hmm. what type of allergies people are going to have this, that, and the other. Um, And so I don't want to hurt myself before I get anywhere. Um, You know, before we can even get to where we're going, I don't want to do that. Um, So, yeah. Um, So, so the, the interview has happened. This is the fun part for me. Folks have closed the door. And now we're deliberating in the search process. What are some of the challenges that people uh, cannot overcome or are oftentimes brought up? Uh, are there any reoccurring threads that you hear often? And and we're talking specifically about black folk, black men and black women um, in this space.
2: Absolutely. You know, your, your, your personal brand uh, is important. And when your personal brand has been tainted or your reputation uh, somewhat ruined by an incident uh, something that may have happened on a previous uh, job or a campus uh, could really ruin it's going to travel with you mm-hmm. uh, so you have to be very careful about your behavior <laughs> on and off the job that so people will find out also your social media oh my goodness you know, people are still, you know, no matter how much everyone preaches about. People don't, they don't believe it. Media, they do
1: not they believe it. People don't believe,
2: believe it. believe it. And, you know, it only takes 10 seconds to pull up someone. And there is this photo of you with your boy, you know, <laughs> ripping a Ciroc bottle. Right? <laughs> and I'm like, hmm i can't put you in front you know leading student affairs you know what i mean so that social media piece I, I i don't know what else to say about it but if you don't think it well of yourself to clean up your social media then um you, you, <laughs> you don't want to get a new job twitter um We've seen now the big TikTok is so big. I'm so tired of seeing that, but I'm like, people are out there doing these things, and you have to be be mindful that other folks see it, and it's going to go with you. But also your behavior, how you treat people on your other jobs, people want to talk. You know, you we said on the first set, um, first set that we know each other, Right. and I'm going to call you if I get a candidate, you know, from Wiley. Hey man, tell me about this young lady immediately. <laughs> and you, and we, yeah, yeah, like yeah, you don't don't do it. Yeah, you know, and, I, and, and I, I'm actually, day, I've done it. Yeah, I've
1: done it. no, you know what? I used to. There was this this um this this time in my career where I would say, "Yeah, I'm not gonna say anything," and you know, be like, "Yeah, I know them," mm-hmm. and leave it at that, right? And some people can read between the lines. But when I think about now how much time and energy you put into a hire, I am not sending anybody that I know, anybody that calls me for that matter, down uh, a rabbit hole. I'm not doing it because the money you spend, the time you invest and the people who you may have been on the fence with. Um, is it's just too much. And these positions, I don't care what institution it is. I don't care how much money you have. Anytime you make an investment in someone and it doesn't work out fairly quickly, that, that hurts. That can put your operation behind. So I'm one mm-hmm. who is going to be candid. I'm not going to injure mm-hmm. anyone. I'm going to say, hey, you know, didn't come to work on time. When they got there, they were great. But if your thing is them coming to work on time and being there and going the extra mile, Mm-hmm. Yeah. This might not be the person for you or they do great work, but they have a bad attitude. How do you square mm-hmm. that? How do you reconcile that? What What do you need? Is this person going to be um out in front? Is, are they going to have a lot of contact with folk or are they back in the room uh, dealing with stuff? You know, I, is it less contact? Like I'm 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 going to interview a person who is interviewing me about a person for a job recommendation. I'm doing mm-hmm. it now. And I, I and only it, it's not about hurting anybody. It's about helping um, the folks who are looking for a hire that could be um, transformational for them or could injure their careers.
2: That is true. And and people do it all the time. So, you know, I, my clients, I tell them, be mindful of where you apply, how many times you apply. Cause, you know, there's, I call it application saturation. Mm hmm. If, you, if you've been you know, a finalist at, you know, uh, several institutions and you didn't get the job, people are going to start wondering, what's, what's wrong with Herman? You know, why is he getting these jobs? You know, that's going to be part of your brand, your reputation. Mm-hmm. So be intentional about where you apply, and be mindful. Everything, most things are going to be public and word is going to travel about you application saturation be mindful of that because that that happens so you have people out there applying everywhere yes just so they can get a vice presidency. i'm like but you're not even ready you just want the title
1: well you know that's that's the other piece and this is why i take um I know that I'm an acquired taste when it comes to mentorship or whatever you want to call it. Like I, I wrote my dissertation on mentorship. And so I hate that word. Um, I, I just think that it is uh, overutilized and not really Mm -hmm. understood. Um, Mm -hmm. and mentorship is rough. It's tough. If it's real mentorship, it is something that, um, can be exhaustive. Um, It is being supportive. It is being sponsored. uh, It is being ally. It is being a commander in truth um, and telling the hard things. Uh, Just had a brother the other day who was at a for profit um, and has never held a um, senior leadership position at an institution and wants to be a president like right now.
0: Mm hmm. And is mm-hmm. applying
1: for every presidency. And I just said, hey, man, I think you might need to get you a vice presidency somewhere mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. at a
1: brick and mortar place. Um, and so your point about this um, lack of desire. And, and it's really tough to Toya, you because you don't want to be viewed as somebody who's, you know, squatting on somebody's dream. I don't know what conversations people have with Jesus. Jesus may have told you when the presidency was coming for you when it, well, I, I don't know all that, but what I, what I can tell you is that the two boxes, um, that most have that are sitting in the seat that you want to be, have a bunch of tools in them and yours doesn't. Mm.
0: Mm. That,
1: that that's the easiest way to say that. Um, But I don't I don't I don't know how to advise people in any other way than being honest about it. No, you might not be ready, you know. And the lure of of the title is a lot for people.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: It's it's just a lot. So I think um, for some folks, um, it's too much to um, to put off. Let me ask you a question about degrees. And this might be kind of touchy, but when I was at Murray State University, I didn't know much about, um, I never heard the term brick and mortar until I sat on my first search um, committee. And um, regionally accredited institution, uh, Carnegie One designation, uh, Research One, Research R2, you know, these were code words for making sure that a person didn't go to University of Phoenix or Capella or, or, or these things. When people get behind closed doors, you hear the discriminatory practices that people deploy, even with the EDD, some PhDs have and I've I've heard this right and so it doesn't it's just wild to me but I think people really need to know what is being said behind these doors have you heard anything about um a lack of credit being given to places that
0: are
2: not brick and mortar (laughs) you know we we all have you know let's be honest um I, is, I don't wanna you want to put you on the spot, doc. Yeah, but I, you, you know, know I don't you want, know, being honest, this, yeah. this is what I, I think about it. Uh, most times and I, you know, I have a PhD. I don't get in that EDD PhD, you know, debate. Yeah. You know, if you have a doctorate, you have a doctorate. Right. Uh, even when it comes down to, you know, graduating with honors or GPA, I said no one has ever asked me what my GPA was in grad school.
1: Never in a day.
2: Never. Right. No one ever questioned. Even though I went to Morgan, you know, Carnegie, you know, all that. So but no one ever said, you know, that a research intensive institution. No. No one's ever asked me that. And so I think um, that normally comes into play for some more uh, you know, academic roles, you know, on the faculty your old school faculty persons that they they have that debate. Not so much I think for I would say you know, people who are kinda in that uh that mid range, right? I I, I had my doctorate I think twenty fourteen. I just it doesn't bother me. Some people it do, some people it doesn't. Um, I don't think it's that big of a debate. You you do the work, yeah is the work a little harder somewhere else. Absolutely. Uh, my degree is research intensive. So when the people in the higher ed, I have my, my PhDs in history. You know, we write. Folks in higher ed programs are talking about I need a um, qualitative, quantitative. I said, we didn't do all that. You know, I don't even know what you're talking about. <laughs> so it, to me, it doesn't matter. Uh, but for a whole lot of people, it does matter. And so you have to be someone that has to be able to stand your own ground. If you want to defend your way, you received your degree.
1: You know, for me, I've, I've, I have never, um, like I I just didn't know the difference. I didn't know that it mattered. Right. Um, you know, I, when I look back on it, when I came into higher education, I had a JD and, um, I didn't know it and probably was naive um, to really catch the remarks about it. Um, Mm -hmm. And I, I didn't really understand it. I don't, I can't fault a person and will never fault a person for life happening, getting into their careers, and the accessibility is an issue. Right. Me being able and time. Those are those are issues. Me being able to get into a doctoral program um, at the University of Phoenix while I'm working. If I got a Ph.D. or Ed.D. from there, you're going to call me doctor, period.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: Um, I do find it fascinating that there are folks who don't see things the way I do. And I just wanted to know from your perspective, if, if you had the same experience and, you know, especially people on search committees when they're looking for a president anyway. Um, And maybe I should have said that particularly uh, because I I know quite a few people mm -hmm. who, um, you -hmm. know, when it comes to being the president, um, if you uh, don't have Mm -hmm. a degree from a regionally accredited institution that has brick and mortar behind it, um, you're going to have a challenge. And I, I think people should just know that. There are some people who make it into the presidency without uh, a terminal degree, but they have oftentimes extraordinary mm-hmm. experiential learning that has occurred, and folk find it malleable, their skill set, uh, to run in an institution. Um, Rare, but uh, it it happens. Um, But I've seen uh, folk and have listened to folk um, in the search process uh, really uh, not allow people without those degrees from regionally accredited places to to even move forward. They just won't let them because they won't. It'd be difficult to get past the faculty. Mm Mm-hmm. So just wanted to have that conversation. Um, I I think it is sort of, you know, for me, I would advise folk to really, as you said, also be be prepared to defend their work that that I think that's the strong takeaway from from this portion of the segment is just be prepared to, to defend your work as we have to do when you attend HBCUs. I mean, a lot Mm -hmm. of people have no idea what HBCUs are. And I'm Mm -hmm. not just talking about white folks, talking about black folks, brown folks, Asian folks, Latino folks, you name it. I mean, there are people who don't know what HBCUs are. And and when people don't understand something, I think oftentimes there is a an inferior delineation put attached to it.
2: You know, I I agree with that, and you know, I boast that I'm a a proud graduate of Morgan State University, and and I remember meeting a lady somewhere in Baltimore, and she she asked me where did I go to school, and I told her Morgan, and she said, you know, where is that? (laughs) And I just looked at, but then I you know I took a breath and I explained to her. I gave her a good Morgan commercial, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, it, the more reason why I created the HBCU Genius, you know, brand. Mm-hmm. Uh, to say, sh- hey, we are here, we exist. I don't want to hear that conversation again about rever- being revelant. Um, but you do find that folks have to defend their degree to HBCU. You know, you got Morgan, you got Howard, you got Jackson State you know, top leaders in producing black uh, PhDs. And the fact that we still have to send that is just ridiculous. Now, I I will tell you what I do see on resumes and people putting on their applications um, that annoys me and that's a no-no when it comes to doctoral programs. You'll see they put ABD.
0: Mm. (laughs) All
2: but dissertation. I'm like... Uh, Do not put that on your resume, your business card, the signature on your email. That doesn't matter. You can be ABD for 50 years, uh, but that's not something uh, that's recognized. And so please, please, please stop putting that on your resume and application, your business card, and your email signature.
1: So nobody cares that you're ABD.
2: Nobody cares (laughs) until you're finished. It
1: is properly notated in your education piece that you are simply, you know, you started in in eighteen, and your expected graduation date is twenty twenty two. It's Mm -hmm. that that's enough.
2: Correct. You're either a doctoral student or a candidate. That's it.
1: Period. Uh, I'm laughing because that, that I could tell that that was uh one of those things that you weren't particularly crazy about or aren't particularly crazy about seeing, so
2: and <laughs> no. I saw it today I was like brothers like take that off mhm
1: um let's let's shift gears and and move to the um the personal brand. Uh, and getting people to understand how important it is um, as we cut across the field and getting people to understand how people are always watching. and let's just let's just, you know, really talk about how small the place is um, this space is and higher education and it gets smaller when you go into, Um, the niche uh, groups of our institutions. If you go into the Ivies of the HBCUs, and people don't like to hear this, but that's what they're called, your Howards, your Hamptons, your Spellmans, um, your upper echelon um, um, public HBCUs, Morgan, North Carolina um, Mm A&T, those schools, um, that's a circle in and it of itself, and then you have the greater HBCU circle, right? Like I, I've come to understand that, and I'm I'm not mad about it, or I mean, I think you have to know things. Uh, when you know better, you do better. Let me just say that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but how how important um, is it for people to really be cognizant of the fact that this is a small world, small place? Your work product follows you. And people are always watching.
2: You know, I, I've been around for quite some time. I'm only, I'll be 45 in September, but I've been, you know, in student affairs since I was, you know, I think 20, 25 years old. Um, just kind of starting out. And, you know, I've, I've met people, I think, just about from all, at least half of the ACCU. And, you know, over the last 17, 18 years, you know, I have seen people kind of do the circuit, right? <laughs> you know, you meet Morgan, get a job at Howard, leave Howard, get a job at M You know, people are on that circuit, and and folks talk. We know each other. Um, your reputation and your personal brand follows you. Be that person that someone can say nothing but glowing things about. Don't be that one that. You know, as you said earlier, hey, yep, I know them. And if that's all you say, then I know not to hire that person. Mm-hmm. Uh, particularly when, you know, we go to conferences and you go to the deceptions and the socials, don't be that person that's sloppy drunk in the lobby of the Marriott. <laughs> because if I see you or if you see that person, <laughs> you, you're going to make a mental note.
0: Hey, <laughs> right?
2: Because it, it happens. I always say, you know, uh, NASPA, I call that first night of NASA that's black night, right? The African-American social, everybody's there having a great time, and it's always going to be that one person that shows out. And I'm like, man, you know, I'm, I would never hire that person. Um, or, you know, homecoming. Yep, it may be homecoming. You still got to maintain your professionalism because somebody's always watching. And then you don't want to get yourself in trouble. You get arrested. DWI, those things are going to hinder you for getting another job. So your reputation is key. I know, I, you know, I, I'm not no longer in the HBCU space, but I'm definitely going back. That's where I feel that I can be uh, most helpful. But, you know, I'm able to see things now from the you know, system office perspective uh, one of the things that the champ of A&T, you know, shared was, you know, Toya, you, you're in this amazing opportunity. Get out and learn what makes those, you know, each institution unique. And I've been able to do that with A&T. And, and I've been to Elizabeth City. I've been to Shaw. I've been to St. Augustine. I've been to John C. Smith. I've been to Livingstone all within the first six months of being in this role,
0: mm-hmm. um,
2: to show my support and say, Hey, I'm an advocate and I'm going to be that voice to you wherever I go. Uh, but that's also a part of my grant, right? People know, Hey, yes, I went to UNC Charlotte crowd 49 but I'm also a graduate of a HBCU. And I worked, um, in that space for 16 years. Uh, You know, I hope that my name carries weight, and that's what you should strive to do, that when someone sees your name, a piece of paper, Mm
0: -hmm. they
2: know that you're a great person, and they have no reservations in hiring you. Everybody should be like that. So always be mindful that what you do is going to follow you, and people are going to talk. This HBCU space is so, so small. I know your program, you know, I've had a, a few staff members, former staff members who've gone. I'm like, yeah, I know that person. They come back like, Hey, everybody knows you. I'm like, I've been around for a minute. <laughs> you know, that's, yeah. that's what it is.
1: Yeah. 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 It, it really is. And, um, you know, we're, we're hoping to continue the work that we're doing, um, by simply, Allowing folk um, the opportunity to be with like-minded individuals, as we say in the intro, intro um, but to build support. Like never in our wildest dream did we imagine or could we imagine, you know how many podcasts have been have been started since health and how many folks who are independent contractors and folks who, are, who have gone and gotten degrees? Um, like we – We did not uh, intend for the most amazing things to happen. Um, Folks hiring each other, folks uh, contracting each other to do work on their campuses. Like folks are eating off of each other. The synergy Mm -hmm. is just unbelievable. It's palpable, to be quite honest with you. And I I love it. We love it. We love it. Um, But what makes it work? It is it really is a microcosm of the greater populace of HBCUs. There are some folks in there that are there uh, for some reasons, and then there are folks who are there for uh, other reasons, right? And you you can find your mixture, and we don't, um, yeah, I've had a couple of my colleagues' presidents say, man, he he or she graduated or, or went to health. I thought they were good. You know, they got hired and and it didn't work out. Um, And I'm always uh, very clear when people come through the door, if you're looking for the presidency, this is the wrong place for you. This is not about making somebody a president or we we don't even talk about being presidents. Uh, What we talk about is leadership. That's what we push, leadership. Getting people to be cognizant of what leadership really is, how they present. Whether they really understand, there, there, you'd be surprised how many people are leading or in leadership positions that have no leadership skills, none. <laughs> Maybe you wouldn't be surprised. I,
0: I'm not, but, no, right, okay, <laughs> But right. it is
1: happening, and they can't understand why they're still where they are.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, on day one, you hear them talk about it, and then by day three, you're like, "Yep, I see why. I see why." And here's what we're going to do to help you. Right. And, and that happens for us. But self-awareness is a very critical piece um, to the puzzle when it comes to um, leadership. And I would imagine even when when we're talking about etiquette and and job interviews as well. Uh, self-awareness, if you don't have that, you're 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 going to be out of gas in a lot of situations.
2: I agree with you, all of that. I I see people all the time, you know, kind of boasting that they they are this and that and, you know, lack the necessary skill set to provide real and competent leadership or leadership with integrity. And I I think your program, you know, offers, you know, a great niche for uh, African-Americans who, you know, in their mind, they aspire to be more. But they need someone to show them the way, uh, and I, and that's why I started. That's why I came up with the five mistakes Black women make because uh, you recognize there is a need uh, for someone to provide guidance to people who just need just a hand up. Um, and the last, you know, a few days ago, before I did that, you know, my my LinkedIn has been blowing up. And I'm just only happy imagine. that people do <laughs> blowing up. And I'm just happy that, uh, I've been able to, you know, be a vessel to help so many people, um, uh, gain the, com- the confidence that they need to, to be successful.
1: I think it's wonderful that you have this heart of, 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 of service. I think it's amazing that, um, you act on the heart of service, right? It's one thing to, to think about helping people, uh, but it's another to put yourself out there uh, and, and help folk and, and help them with an unconditional expectation, right? I don't want anything from you, but I know that these are some of the things that would benefit you because they've helped me and they've helped others and uh, you should have this same information. I think it's mm-hmm. wonderful that people uh, climb the ladder and look back. I think it's wonderful. And it has been um, just a pleasure getting to know you over these last two episodes. Um, I, I know that there are many other places for us to have conversations over. Uh, when we talk about your day job we haven't even did that we've (laughs) talked about your hobby um and so i look forward to welcoming you back and getting you with the other um folks that that i share this space with and having a a good robust uh, conversation about where higher ed is going and it'd be interesting to hear about you know what's going on in the unc system and um Mm -hmm. how things are, are going to look in the next six to 12 months. Um, so mm-hmm. I want to thank you um, for doing what you do and thank you for uh, being unselfish and sharing that good information that you have uh, with the masses. I truly appreciate it, Toya. Oh,
2: thank you, Dr. Felton, for the opportunity to share. Thank you. I truly mean that.
1: Well, it's a wrap. Victoria Corbett, aka the etiquette doctor, aka the person that none of her sorority sisters wants to sit with because she's going to get them together, uh, aka the serial entrepreneur, successful uh, at, at that. Um, been a wonderful conversation. We really, really appreciate you um, answering our inquiry. Um, this is uh wonderful so um five mistakes black women make Uh, i know her first one sold out or it was uh filled to capacity and i hope that she does many many more um but i hope that you will continue to share your gift uh dr corbett we really appreciate it
2: yeah thank you
1: This has been uh, Four Thoughts of Our Founders, the podcast for the Higher Education Leadership Foundation. I'm Herman Felton, uh, one of the founders. Uh, Really happy to have the type of energy, intellect, uh, the agency that we showcased here. Uh, And Dr. Corbett, uh, over the last two episodes, really gave us a lot to chew on to get ourselves together, to go out and take our rightful place in the, in today's global society so until the next time COVID-19 Rona is out there be careful uh, be safe take care of yourselves and while you have time you have no excuse to come out of COVID not being a member of your favorite airline your favorite rental car place your favorite hotel chain join the loyalty programs make your money work for you I'm out of here. This is Herman. Be good.